Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. K-Nut. That is me. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I am uh, staring into a box, a soundproof box that you MacGyvered up for me. How are we sounding this afternoon? I think we're sounding pretty damn good. Well, we've uh, become podcast geeks. I know. It's hard to admit, but it's true. What did COVID turn you into? A podcast geek. (laughs) So true. So today, special guest, part two. I wanted to dig deeper into fintech and um, the opportunities post-crash with my friend, Shil Minot, who uh, has a new fund. I'm really interested in it. And I wanted to talk about uh, how they think about the world of fintech and globally. And so we're going to get him on the phone. Are you all right with that? Absolutely. I'll call him up right now. Let's get him. Hey, it's Shil. Yeah, I can hear him. How's the sound? How are you, Howard? Life is good. Coronado, you seem to be uh, enjoying the life of San Diego with me for a few days. How's it? Uh, how's it been here? Uh, it's amazing. You're such a good host. Love hanging out with your family. It's great. I'm I'm loving Coronado. What a wonderful place. It's like yeah, it's uh, not open it's for like most. Slice not open of, for everybody. Yeah, it's true. But it's if you can do it, why not? It's the best place. So I wanted to talk today about fintech. You know, we uh, had you on before, but I wanted to dig deeper into your new fund and how you, you guys, you and Jake, think about the world. So why don't you give a, a little background on what you guys are doing now? Yeah, sure. So uh, Jake and I recently started a fund, a $60 million seed stage fund to lead seed stage deals in fintech companies. And it's kind of weird. Fintech's a huge category. We think about 20% of all financings, financing startups would qualify for us as, as fintech. And it's weird that there isn't, there aren't that many other funds that step up and lead seed rounds of fintech companies. And we thought Jake and I would be the perfect people to do it. Um, Jake and I have both been in fintech since before it was called fintech. I mean, what you you know this, Howard, but if it hasn't, fintech hasn't actually been called fintech that long. And Jake and I both started companies a decade ago. So I started and sold two fintech companies, and I've been angel investing in fintech for the past almost seven, eight years. Um, and Jake co-founded NerdWallet, which is one of the original consumer fintech companies and an iconic fintech brand. For those of you who don't know it, it bootstrapped that business to a $500 million valuation. Most recently, it was valued at $750 million. Jake's been an angel investor and, you know, Jake and I just started working together four years ago and just, it was instantly a great combo. So Jake was an EIR for me at the previous fund. And when I, when we decided to do this new fund or when I thought about doing this new fund last year, Jake was the obvious partner. And so we decided to start raising in Q4 and things have gone pretty well. And the idea is what seven fifty to a million to lead around in a fintech because fintechs still 
you know, in this world don't need infinite amount of cash at the beginning. So walk me through your thinking there. Yeah. So typically, yes, we're a lead fund. We invest between 500 and 1.5 million um, to lead the rounds and we get double digit ownership. Um, the way we think about it is in three different buckets. There's some companies that will incubate, which is which means we find the team. It's like one or two founders typically only. It could be their idea, could be our idea, but we help them quite a bit. So it's a lot of our sweat and we co-locate with them in our office, help them get the first set of customers, build an MVP, understand their unit economics, and then they can go out and race somewhere else. And so there we actually invest a smaller amount of money. It's like five hundred to $750,000 and we get more ownership. We actually, we get like 20% ownership. So really low valuations, but we're also putting in a ton of our time to get those valuations. And then there's pre-seed where we're investing like a million bucks for 15% ownership. And this is getting them from an idea to an MVP, getting them initial customers. Then there's a seed round. And this one could be more where we partner with other funds like yours, where we invest like 1.5 million. We get 12%-ish ownership. The team is larger. They may have done a pre-seed round already. The team is like four to 10 people. Help them get to product market fit scaling usage and predictable unit economics. Um, and then in terms of categories, we like everything in fintech. And we think that there's a huge opportunity for fintech that is yet untapped. And that's the last sort of decade of fintech has just been bringing stuff that was offline online. And we think the next decade is actually true innovation, true digitally native companies. And to get there, there are all these building blocks. So there are companies like Stripe and Plaid that have helped Stripe on the e-commerce side, Plaid on the fintech side. And we think that there's a whole nother set of companies like them that will be started in this era. And we want to invest in those companies. But then we also want to invest in non-fintech companies that will become fintech companies in the future. Because any company with a data and distribution advantage will be a fintech company in the future. Hmm. And can we, do you have an example of that? Sure. So it's easy to just look at our portfolio. So, so like in our portfolio, there's a company we invested in um, called Flexport. It's a customs and logistics company. So if you have, I don't know, 10 million uh, face masks in Shenzhen and you need, them get, need to get them to, to San Francisco, they do a bunch of stuff in the middle to get to help them get you here, to help them get the masks over. So they um, basically started out as a freight forwarder. And so you'd say, okay, well, that's a customs logistics company. And they do a bunch of fancy stuff digitally. Like you can you can see where the stuff is at all times. They, it's a much faster process than you could do otherwise. So you say, okay, that's a freight forwarder. Why is that a fintech company? Well, to us, it was always a fintech company because they had distribution. So, you know, you have a bunch of customers. They had underwriting because you see time and time again, like this company here, let's say it's Walgreens, they're buying from the same supplier in China time and time again and increasing order frequency and increasing the size of the order. So that's that's underwriting. We know we know that these people are all reliable. And then there's collections. We're physically holding the inventory. It's the best thing you can do for collections. So at that point, you could say Flexport could then give a loan to the Walgreens guys to do the order. And that for 90 hmm. days, they have that capital out and they're a lender. And then they also added an insurance and there's a bunch of other stuff that you can do. So that to us is a fintech company and to most other people probably isn't. God, is that in your first fund or a 500 startup? That actually was a, that was a personal deal. Okay. Got that it. I had done before. And then, yeah. 
And so this is your first fund. This is yeah. This is the first like institutional fund, and yeah, we you were really doing investing at five hundred startups. So tell people a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, I started a fund there called Five Hundred FinTech. It was more of friends and family fund. It was a fifteen million dollar fund. It's done really, really well. We started it. It's a 2017 vintage fund, so it's only about three years old. But we we were very fortunate in that um, one of our companies exited already. Uh, so less than three years from start to finish. And it was a huge multiple for us. It was a 78x multiple on the first check. So we returned more than half the fund from that uh, from that one company. And then there's a bunch of other companies that look really strong. So we have... Uh, I think eight companies that are at eight X or more from our first check. And there are probably five or six that we're really excited about that we think each could potentially return the fund. So that fund looks really, really good. And we invested in, it was a slightly different strategy than what we're doing now. We weren't Mm -hmm. leading rounds. We were writing relatively smaller checks, uh, but getting still getting, getting significant ownership. And what we learned from that was, we were putting in a lot of our own time and our founders kept telling us like, you guys are our favorite investors. Like, it's amazing. Like you have, you have such small ownership and you're yet you're the most helpful. We would be on the boards and stuff like that. And they said, you know, that was great to hear. Like you're the most helpful investor, but then it was a lot of our time and we didn't own enough of these companies. So we thought, okay, maybe the way to play this is to take a greater ownership stake in the companies. So that's what we're doing, writing larger checks instead of the you know first check there was like 150. Now we're getting closer to a million dollar first check and getting getting greater greater ownership in these companies, which which we're pretty excited about. And the key is you think is the ownership. Yeah. If if your model is like ours, so how do we build a brand? We want to build the brand of being the best fintech investors out there in the world. And we think at seed. And seed is where we love to play because like I've started companies, Jake and I both started companies and we just love that early space where it's like less than 20 employees. We love helping companies get from that like zero to 40, 50 employees. And we think we can help companies do that time and time again. And we just love it. So seed is where we want to play. And if I think about what I advise my companies to take is if you're raising money at seed, I say, you go for the people that are going to be the most helpful to you. And at Series A, you go for the strongest brand because what matters most is recruiting and other other stuff that brand really matters mm-hmm. for. So if you can get a Sequoia Andreessen benchmark at the A, get it. Um, and then at B and beyond, what matters, just get the best price you can get for the deal. And if you've missed anything along the way, then you can step up and get it in the next round. So mm-hmm. at Seed, again, what's most helpful is the people that are going to be most helpful in you building your business. And I think Jake and I have something really special to offer there to a fintech entrepreneur, which is we've both been successful fintech entrepreneurs. Like I had two successful exits. Jake's company's worth $750 million. Mm-hmm. And and then all we do is fintech. So we know who to connect you to. Like whatever you're doing, either we know who to connect you to or somebody in our existing portfolio has already done it. So we can we can point to them and they can help you. Mm-hmm. Do you need other LP, not LPs, do you need other investors or is it just you and maybe a few angels that come along or are you looking for other institutions? To come along with us in these rounds. In a seed round or is it just, you know, most companies don't need more than two. So you're pretty much most of the round. We're typically most of the round. It's typically us and angels. 
but there are times where like there are other folks who'd be strategically valuable. So like, like I would never do an investing deal without talking to you and making sure you have an allocation. Um, because I know you can be so helpful in, and the, I've seen the value you add to these companies. So there are other folks like that. I think in the industry, there are some other funds we really respect. Um, there's, you know, at the series a level, there's a bunch of them. There's rivet QED core innovation mm-hmm. capital, uh, the Omidyar fund, which is now called flourish are all great. And we have a really strong relationship with them. And we have along them and alongside then there's the Andreessen Horowitz fintech team that we also have a really strong relationship with. And all these folks or m- most of these folks have actually invested in our fund as LPs because they wanted a stronger relationship with us. And I thought that would mean, OK, they're just doing that because they want our deal flow, which I get totally makes sense. But actually what's been happening is they send us more deal flow than we send them. They they look at these deals that are too early for them, and like once a week we get something from Andreessen. They say, "We love this company; it's just too early for us. Why don't you guys have a look at it?" And that's been super valuable because we're getting signal that these other funds are interested in the deal, and they want us to look at it. They know that we'll be a good home for them, and we'll we'll be honest with them about the performance of the company before they have to invest. So that's that's been really great. Yeah, I I've, I learned that uh, when when I was an angel investor, you know, people that trusted me would send me deals that were too early for them. And I was like, well, uh, you know, when they, that was a signal that I'm supposed to, you know, dig in because they're there if we can get it to the next goal line. So you got to kind of learn the ropes and that's really, it's exciting to have these institutional LPs like Andreessen, you deal with a niche and, 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 yep. and their FinTech division. Um, but at the same time, it really goes both ways. They're really just looking to prime the pump for them later on. So it's kind of a, you know, you got to spend the time doing this like you guys have done. So what what was the name of their first company that you started? Uh, the first company I started was called Fee Fighters. It was a payments company. We started, uh, I was working as a management consultant at a place called BCG, doing a lot of work after the financial crisis, um, to, you know, work around, what do we do? A bank would say, what do we do with this in the face of regulation? And one of the things that we recommended them to do was raise fees on customers in ways that they would never notice. And I thought this was just freaking horrible. So me and a buddy of mine from BCG left and had a company called Fee Fighters, where we fought back against this by creating a transparent marketplace where the first first product was payments. So payment processors could bid down against each other for a small business's business. And um, we were saving small businesses tons of money. And then we decided to go deeper into payments and built some technology around it. The company ended up getting acquired by Groupon. Uh, it was a decent acquisition. Like our first customer, our first uh, investors made something like more than 10x, but it, it wasn't a home run. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a home run for you in terms of learning and everybody made money. And then everybody made money. Everybody was around? happy with us. The second go around uh, is a company called Innovative Auctions. Uh, we identified this like, so I'm like an economics nerd and love auction theory and discovered this way to settle a dispute and created a company around it called Innovative Auctions. We've done a bunch of auctions for now almost billions of dollars worth of stuff and started the company. It's a long story. I'd love to tell it because it's such a fun story, but it would take up the rest of the podcast. 
Um, so maybe we'll do it another time. But um, we started that company and sold it in 2015. It was a great outcome. We did. We hadn't raised any money, which was which was wonderful. It's the, the other thing is actually having gone through both. The first one's venture back. The second one wasn't. I'm able to like give founders guidance on whether they should take venture capital money or not. And a lot of times they shouldn't. And I, I'm happy to give them that guidance, even though it seems counterintuitive that a venture capitalist is telling you you shouldn't take my money. Sometimes it's the right decision. So I, uh, I tell them founders that all the time. And for me, frankly, the second company where we, where we didn't raise any money was much more lucrative. Like at the end of the day, there's no investors to pay out. It's just the founders who ended up getting all the money. It was a great outcome. Yeah, I think we're at this phase where, uh, especially post-COVID, is like harder decisions. You know, the there's many ways to skin a cat, and you know this fascination with venture capital. Uh, you know, is it science? Is it art? Is it a combo? I mean, the key is not enough people are telling the founders like the straight truth, which is not everything should be venture backed, even 100%. though money is a commodity. Yeah, there's so many companies that that would be better off not venture backed, or would be better off raising less money than they do. That's the other thing is like too many companies raise too much money and then they get stuck. Like if you raise too much money, then you end up, um, you know, at, at a certain valuation and you can't get below that valuation. Otherwise your investors get all the money and then there's no exit for you. So we tend to be pretty lean ourselves and recommend our companies be lean and only raise as much money as you need. You know, that being said, like during COVID times, we've advised our founders to raise more if they can, but, but, we're, we're realistic and, and about it. And, you know, we think that the last several years, valuations have gotten too high. So we're perfectly fine passing on deals where the valuation we think doesn't make sense. And several times we've been proven right so far on that. Um, a couple mm-hmm. times we've been proven wrong. But uh, that's that's the nature of the game. And what about um, like uh, region? Like, are you just U.S.? No, we'll invest anywhere. Um, we so we we think it'll end up being like seventy percent U.S. We're based in San Francisco, so that's you know that's we have a lot of deal flow in the Bay Area, but throughout the U.S. we travel a lot. Um, but we also love and have made really great investments in other countries. So from the previous fund, one of our top investments is in Africa, um, and we've also made great investments in Latam and Southeast Asia. Now. It's hard to be the best fintech investor all over the world. So I think we're probably going to prioritize LATAM and Africa over Southeast Asia and India. And the reason for that is simple. So LATAM, easy to get to. Mexico City is a three and a half hour flight from San Francisco. Super easy. But we've also already built a brand there. Um, I'm an LP in a fund there. We already have a couple of really top performing companies there. So that helps quite a bit. And then the reason that I think LATAM is such a gem is all of the Series A investors from the US are actually looking at LATAM now. So Andreessen's done like five fintech deals in LATAM. It's, it's insane. And a lot of other funds are looking there and have done deals there too. But the seed market sucks there. And you know, they're very founder unfriendly. They don't have connections in Silicon Valley. So that's an opportunity for us to go there and clean up. So LATAM, one good priority market. Africa, same deal. There's just a lack of capital and there's so much opportunity. I mean, you go there, you see this middle class is burgeoning. There's so much opportunity. We, we invest in this one company called Chipper Cash. 
it's a, it's like a square cash or Venmo for Africa. And they started when we invested, you know, we invested a very low valuation. The, it was a, a team that had a few thousand users, but loved the team. These guys had just so much hustle. They'd come from Uganda and Rwanda and, um, gotten to the U S into, gotten into college, gotten jobs at Facebook, Google It's an amazing story, but we invested, they had 3000 customers at that time. Today, they have one and a half million. It's only been a year and a half. And you just don't see that. Like there's just, there aren't opportunities for growth the way there are in Africa. Their app just caught on fire and it's been, it's been gangbusters. Now they're doing serious revenue. They did a monster series A and, and there's already talk of a series B. So there's just so much opportunity where there's, there isn't existing fintech infrastructure. And so that's why we like Africa. So that's an edge because U.S. is, you know, where money is a commodity at this point. The yep. um, and and there's Behemoth, Stripe, Square, uh, PayPal. 100%. The uh, but yet you think there's a second generation coming behind it. And it's, how is that when the first generation is so new? So what? Like, go a little deeper there. Yeah. So you mean in the U.S. Like that? Like yes. I worry. Like. You know, I tend to not worry too much about incumbents. Like, I don't worry about Wells Fargo, but mm-hmm. I do worry about Square and Stripe. Like, those right. those guys are still still a game. You know, still hiring, recruiting the best people out there. Shopify too. They're they're recruiting such great talent, and they are aligned with the mission. And they're built. They're the people that they're recruiting could easily start companies that we would love to fund. So those are companies I worry about, honestly. So. You know, good thing is we have great relationships with those five guys and we can sort of talk to them and Plaid, honestly, and we can talk to them and say, hey, like, like, is this something that you'd like to build or is this on your roadmap? And, you know, that helps us not to say that we wouldn't build something that would be competitive with them, but it did give us pause. So for us, like, you know, we look for a few things when we invest and we do worry a little bit about competition, but that's not the main stuff. The main thing is like, at the stage we invest, are the founders extraordinary? You know, like simple, simply put. And it's how do we know that? It's can they? It's partially can they clearly define this a compelling vision for us? And have do the people that they worked with in the past speak very positively about them? Um, mm-hmm. Do I love the product? And then, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, would I want to work for these guys? And that's consistently been the case at many of my top performing companies and actually almost all the top performing companies. And if you think about what you need to build a company, it's those things. It's it's like, if you can, if you are a strong founder and you can build a good product and sell a vision, if you can sell a vision, you can sell customers, you can sell downstream capital and you can sell your employees. And so those are the things that we look for. And that's what matters. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, I hate to give away the secrets, but it's it's easier said than done. But those are the secrets, right? Find companies that you would just drop everything and work for yourself. Yeah. And that usually goes back to the founders and the core initial product. And then the the one good thing that people don't understand about fintech now, there's just, you know, forget about soft landings. There's just these squares and stripes and PayPal's. There's going to be a ton of acquisitions that we've seen. Oh, tons. And Absolutely right. It's like this first wave of fintech companies are now huge. You know, Square and Stripe are, you know, like what, 40-ish billion dollar companies? Yeah. Both. Yep. And 
they're they're open for business for doing acquisitions. And yeah. there will be there'll be I think there will be some like big acquisitions that happen from these, you know, quote unquote recent upstarts. And there'll be good opportunities to, for our companies to exit exit to them yeah. even. And I think that's important when I, you know, I look at investing in fintech, I'm looking for both. When I started, there was like, yeah, there was no exits, right? You had the Schwabs and yeah. the trades and they've just been dead. So I, and maybe I was just too early. Uh, and now I have to pinch myself because it just feels like as much as I feel like Rodney Dangerfield is like, oh, if, if I'm doing well, then this is the end. Um, but you got to kind of overcome that and just look at the market and go, it's, you know, that's the hard part. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, to- totally agree. And where'd you come up with the name? So, so better tomorrow. We, you know, we're not like we're not explicitly like an impact focused fund or anything. But Jake and I both care about the world that we live in and want to make it better. And so, we thought, what better way to improve people's lives than financial services? Like it's it's something that touches people every day. Um, so we want to want to make the world better. So we called it Better Tomorrow. Um, but we also want to improve ourselves. So like we'll take a meeting we'll, we've made mistakes and we say, okay, what can we do better tomorrow? And so that was it. And so we came with the, the name better tomorrow ventures. Um, and it's, it's stuck so well, you know, it's stuck so far. Originally it was like a, a temporary name. We weren't sure if we were going to keep it. And then now it's kind of stuck. So it is better tomorrow ventures, BTV. And what's your, what's your favorite products that you use every day now? Ooh, good. It has to be financial or anything. Anything. So, well, we're talking on WhatsApp. I love WhatsApp. I think it's a phenomenal product. Um, it's just so dead simple to use. Um, like you, I love Twitter. I also love Instagram. And then there's some products in my own portfolio that I use a lot. There's one called Albert that I love, although I'm not the right target market for it. It's more geared towards millennials. And then, you know, I love I love photography and photos. So Google Photos, I think, is a fantastic app. And then Uber just changed changed people's lives. It changed the way that we live. Um, you know, obviously, they're going through a tough spot right now, but I think the world of car sharing has made the world better, and I and I love that. Yeah. And then what about uh, where do you bank? Where do I bank? I bank with Schwab. I'm. I have honestly, I have probably ten or fifteen different Ooh. accounts because I bank with every startup that comes out because I love playing with fintech products. So ev- literally every couple of weeks I look through the finance app store and I see any product I haven't used before I'll download it and I'll get the card. So I, I've tried, you know, I'm, I'm the cheapest cost of acquisition for any fintech startup out there, but I'm also the worst lifetime value because I don't end up using switching to it. Um, so you gave out one of my secrets. So I do the same thing. I go to the app store and I end up playing with the top 50 apps. Which generally still are just the same old companies. Well, hard to break through in fintech. Yeah, I mean there there are a bunch that have recently, like uh, Earnin, Truebill, Albert, Power, um, Dave, Bridget. So there are, but you, but you're right. Like the majority of them don't change. It's hard to break in, um, and you got to do something right. The thing that I worry, and this is what you talked about earlier, is like. Anything consumer fintech is hard because you're start in the U.S. Because either it's lending, savings, investing, or advice. Those are like the components that you'd go to a bank for. 
And in each of these verticals, there already are companies out there. And then you start in one of them and then you have to go into the other. So there are companies like Dave, Bridget, Earnin, Wealthfront, Betterment, Stash, Acorns, Albert, Empower that all started in one of these things and then moved into the other. And you could put Robinhood in there too. You know, Robinhood out of the checking account, um, or you can't call it that now. But um, that ends up meaning that things get heated and you're spending a ton of money to acquire customers because you're competing against everyone else. And then where does that money go? So one of our companies that that I'm I'm still very involved with is now spending $40 million a year on Facebook. And it's just insane to me that that's where that's where all these venture dollars are going. Like you, you're just spending, you're just giving money to Facebook to acquire customers. And that's the only way to do it. So what I'm looking for now more than ever is companies that have a unique distribution angle, mm-hmm. something that sets them apart. Yeah. And, Cause I, uh, I don't, I don't like lighting. I don't like sending money to Zuckerberg. Yeah. I think that's the key thing that I'll end with is like, we've hit this age where building stuff, whether it's on, you know, Plaid or comp- competitors to Plaid that you're thinking about funding or, um, you know, spamming Twitter or buying ads on Facebook. Now we're getting into the creativity mode for entrepreneurs, you know, with money as a commodity and all these API services. What what can you do that's different? 100%. Yeah. Nailed it. And and so, so part of your thing is is making sure the, the VCs know you, which they do, uh, the other angel investors like myself in this space at Social Leverage know, and then uh, making sure, uh, you know, without travel, how do you plan to stay in the loop? You know, I do a bunch of stuff like this. I do a bunch of podcasts. I like, I, I talk to people regularly. The good thing is the fintech world is still relatively small. We all know each other. Many of us are friends. I'm actually, you know, to, to get exposure to some other parts of the world. I've become LPs and other funds. And those guys keep me posted on like anything that's going on in those those other parts of the world, like Africa and and LADAM, as I mentioned. Um, so those those are the things I do. And then, you know, I get a bunch of inbound on Twitter. I get a bunch of inbound via cold emails. And some of that stuff is actually good. I made investments that way and that have turned out great. Okay, beautiful. So uh, it's great to have you on. Uh, we'll get Love Jake on one of these days soon. Is there anything I missed, do you think, if there's one question that I might have missed? No, I think you got it. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, you spending time with me, both uh, in my home with the fam and uh, thinking through fintech. So I'm glad I got to get you to explain exactly what uh, you guys are working on. And it'll be exciting to work on some stuff together. We're already cooking some things up. So um, we will see you, you know, I'll see you in a minute. Yeah, can't wait. (laughs) All right, buddy, hang up. All right, bud, take care. See you. Hey, thanks. What'd you think, K-Nut? I think it was great. I like Shield a lot. Gotten to know him over the last few days, and uh, he's just a fantastic guy. Yeah, there's not a lot of rocket science. It's just time energy, focus, uh, building that network, having an eye, uh, having a distribution, having uh, the right LPs, uh, relationships with founders, and uh, there's no shortcuts. It takes a while. That is so true. All right, buddy. We'll be back soon uh, with another Panic with Friends, and we'll see you on the other side, everybody. <laughs>